I just remember. Oh man, Kyle reached out. Oh, so hey, Jamie, how's it going? <laughs> it's going fine. Get your thoughts together. Yeah. How are you? I'm fine. You're good. Yeah, I biked before the podcast, which is a rare occurrence. So my body's nice and warm, and I feel like very present. Do you think that's gonna make you like change the way you talk? I don't know. You mean like physically the way that I talk? No, I mean like, are you going to have more energetic thoughts? Are you going to be less grumpy or more grumpy or more tired or less tired? I probably, hopefully less grumpy, but I don't know about level of energy. I would think because typically when you cardio sort of unlocks the energy that you haven't used yet throughout your day. So have you, you know, the expression where like your, your mind is tired, but your body like is underutilized yeah oh do i know the expression of course of course and i think that is one of the regular afflictions of disability is it though i think your brain just adapts to be like i don't need to even pay attention to all this like i don't think my brain reserves space for my legs no i just mean that endorphins um do things that are really awesome endorphins are a drug in and of it in, in and of yeah. itself it's like a caffeine that is good for you are you addicted to endorphins i i'm addicted to anything that gives me pleasure unfortunately i'm addicted to serotonin for sure yeah i get uh, addicted to um junk food caffeine dopamine of a notification from a social media app yeah. i get addicted to like so many things. Yeah, I'm for sure a dopamine junkie. Maybe a little bit of adrenaline, but I don't think I've really tapped into it just because I don't know what adrenaline can I do. It's basically just like going down the street when it's a little bit cold out in my hands, somewhat off the joystick. That's and adrenaline for me. That, that's adrenaline for you when you're living life on the edge? Yeah, that's like, am I going to make it home? Am I close enough? Like, I actually have a thought yeah. where... I'm like, okay, my hand's getting weaker. My hand is slipping off the joystick. Am I close enough to home where I'm within the radius that I would feel like it was acceptable to call someone for help to get me home, like an attendant? And what if the answer is no, then you have to go find someone to put your hand back on your joystick? Yeah, I would have to like ask for help or I don't know. Yeah, ask a stranger. The X games for Anthony would be driving your chair with your index finger an extra inch away from where it should be. Yeah. I actually went to a doctor's appointment today to get assessed for a new wheelchair. And the most productive thing that happened was they made an adjustment to my chest strap that makes it be able to go tighter so that I can be more secure in my chair. So has it been loose of late? Yeah, it's been loose and my arm hasn't really been sitting right as a result. And it's been like harder and harder to drive. I mean, I'm also, my arm is just getting weaker. Uh, and that became really apparent the first time I left my house post-COVID. Because I was so sedentary for, you know, like six or eight months or more. The first time I left my house and tried to do any sort of challenging driving with my chair, it hit me. I used to have my bike on like maximum resistance when I would pedal and I would just do like a low RPM, but lots of resistance. And then about 18 months ago, I did something to fuck up my left knee. 
because my left knee, like the gate is fucked up and it might, it, it turns inwardly. They used to do a thing in physio where they'd put a basketball between my legs whenever I did uh, like a, I forget what they call it when you, when you weight lift with your thighs. I forget what that particular. Yeah, I'm not an expert in those things. Yeah. Sorry. I'm guessing um, it's called hoop squats because it's the same as when you lift your legs to push a turd out. Kind of, yeah. Except you're you're seated and your legs are at ninety degrees. But that's the thing; your legs aren't supposed to be ninety degrees when you're pushing turds. You don't think so? No, it's like a whole thing. There's like you can buy hoop stools that you put your feet on when you're on the toilet. You put your feet up, and it helps elevate your knees a bit higher, which is supposed to like line everything up. Because I think our bodies are still um, sort of adapted for caveman days where you're just running, hunting, throwing a spear at a deer, and then you pop a squat beside a tree. Like you're not even seated when you shit. You're just literally standing. No, squatting. So it's more than seated. So I'm not, it's not a squat that I have to do. It's a, it's a deadlift or not a deadlift. What the fuck? Why don't I know this, this terminology? Okay. So just describe it. What do you do? So you're, you're seated in this, um, I think it's called like just leg extensions. Don't don't try to figure out what it's called. Just describe it. Oh man, Jeff, your friend Jeff is probably so pissed at me right now. I seem so. There's no way he's mad at you. But... Okay, well, but when I do this exercise, I'm seated and my legs are out 90 degrees. And then, but like when I'm not extended, like all the weight is down. And then like you push out, like you push your legs straight out, and then the the weight goes up. I'm starting to realize why you wanted to use the word because that probably would have been clearer than this explanation. Yeah, I guess I, I, I'm. Uh, I feel like I'm having a stroke live on fucking podcast. <laughs> Do you smell toast? Is that a stroke? No, I smell cake and coffee. Because mm. that's what I had right before the podcast. Your you post workout diet is cake and coffee. I love cake and coffee after a, a nice workout. Uh huh. Yeah. I think Jeff might be starting to get angry at this point. Okay, well, I, what am I going to do? Have a protein shake right before the podcast? That's not very interesting or fun. Interesting? <laughs> Is cake more interesting? Yeah, my mom made this really strange pumpkin cake thing. Like, she used cake batter, and then she got, like, that. you know, that, like... um custard that they put in pumpkin pie yeah and she kind of melded the two together based on some instagram recipe okay and it's much better cold but like it's a very strange concoction and it's weirdly good with a with a strong cup of coffee you've like fully embraced this lifestyle now of what like living with my 80 year old parents and and acting like an 80 year old yeah like the desserts with the coffee like reading the newspaper. I don't read the newspaper. Not yet. <laughs> That's the final step in the evolution of being old. That's when we stage an intervention. That's like, Jamie, you need to move. Yeah. I Well, I, I like my parents. My parents and I have a good relationship. They're good people. They're, they're good to me. Is there anything against your parents? Yeah. It's just that it probably isn't healthy the amount of time you spend thinking about dessert. I think it's unhealthy the amount of time you don't devote to thinking about dessert. You think so? You think I'm depriving my brain? Yeah, because I feel like dessert is like play 
for your stomach. It's playtime. Is it? Yeah, it's it's wiggles and giggles for your fucking bowels. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You should work for like, I don't know, the Nestle company in their marketing department. Nestle's evil. I agree. Yeah, they test their like baby solutions on third world mothers. Yeah. Um so anyway, I, I was trying to tell a story about how uh since COVID I've I've had to reduce the resistance on my bike significantly, like in lieu of my terrible left knee. <clears throat> and also just the same thing, like sedentary existence for so long yeah. has atrophied my cardio. And that's it's pretty hard to accept that. Like it's a it's definitely a demon for me where I'm just like fuck, I'm not as strong as I used to be, and I... Yeah, but you can build that back up. Like, your heart is a muscle. You can just work it out, and it'll get better and better. And I appreciate you saying that. That's probably true to some extent, but there's also the... There's a parts of my disability that do get worse, and I think my posture has gotten to the point where my traditional forms of exercise are no longer um, necessarily good for me in other ways, apart from the the cardiovascular component. You know what I mean? Like you think it's actually making certain things worse or it's just, there's no room for improvement. I, th- I think it's just causing like wear and tear in my back and shoulders in a way that I can't necessarily correct with proper posture. And so I feel like I, in, in pursuit of endorphins, I'm actually hurting myself, which is probably not true. Like it could just be. Yeah. I think it's just like the amount that you're doing probably like you're, you seem like lately you're, you've been more like you go hard and then you stop and then you go hard and then you stop instead of like a more moderate, but consistent pace. Mm, I usually try to bike uh, three times a week. Yeah. It's like, it's fairly routine. But because I used to do so much more, like it used to be four or five times a week. That's not so much more, is it? One or two times? Well, w- like with the added the added resistance and then you factor in oh, walks right. with the walker. Yeah. And so it, it sort of adds up. But yeah, I've had to scale that back so significantly that like me from five years ago would laugh at what I'm currently doing right now to try to have a exercise life. For Spinal Muscular Atrophy Awareness Month, I got invited to a Zoom seminar. And it was like, how... Who invited you? Spinal Muscular Atrophy Gods. (laughs) Like the president of your disability? (laughs) Yeah. In in Switzerland somewhere? Mr. SMA. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He, He invited me to this like Zoom... Wait, why do we presume it's a man, Tony? I talked to him. (laughs) <laughs> he invited me oh you actually mean there is a mr sma Damn. his name his first name is s his middle name is a- okay i'm done so anyway um it was like the the conference was something about physiotherapy and spinal muscular atrophy mm-hmm. and so i was interested because i have spinal muscular atrophy and a physiotherapist and you're a physiotherapist I have a physiotherapist. Oh, cool. Did you did did your physio watch the seminar with you? No, but here's what ended up being the seminar. It was actually what you should do for physiotherapy with your child with SMA. Oh. And it just made me sad because when I was a kid, 
the school of thought, at least for my circle of care, yeah. was don't do it. Exercise will only like wear and tear your muscles more, and then that will like increase the rate of atrophy rather than increasing the muscle mass and therefore decreasing the sort of giving you a buffer for the atrophy. That's so crazy. Like what the fuck are you supposed to do when hopelessness is baked into your clinical outlook? Well, a part of it is still true to this day. Like for example, if I start working out my arms for real, yeah. there's a chance it would get marginally stronger, but that extra muscle mass or fat, depending on if it was like, cause I could also just eat my way into being fatter, but being stronger and or bigger would actually make my arm heavier, which would then make it harder to move my arm. So there's actually a balance because if I'm lighter, i.e. thinner and more underweight, then I'm kind of stronger because I can lift the weight of my own arm. So that still holds true. And doctors still kind of help help you maintain that balance between the right weight, the right strength, but also not being too heavy or strong that you can't move. Do you have to like take precautions against like like osteoarthritis or like uh yeah, yeah. Like I I take calcium daily. My bones are like very easily broken. Uh-huh. When I broke my ankle a couple of years ago, they did an x-ray of my foot. And they were like, we think it's broken here and here and here, but it's so hard to tell because your your muscle, your bones are just so porous or like osteoporotic that it's hard to even see where the fractures are. <laughs> Lord, they're like, yeah, we did an x-ray of your entire body and like everything looks broken. Sorry, dude. Bye. Yeah, exactly. But so this Zoom conference by Dr. SMA uh-huh. was like children and physiotherapy for kids. And it's, it was kind of mind-blowing. Two things. One was a lot of the things that they told me, they're not telling people anymore. Like, you know, they're, they're a lot more actively promoting strength and conditioning and repeated exercise and all this stuff, which to me just makes logical sense. But the other thing that was mind-blowing to me was that even after 30 years of research, they still weren't that much further ahead than where they were when I was a kid. A lot of the questions that people were asking in the Zoom conference or whatever, people, the doctors were just saying, good question. We're still waiting for the research on that. Depressing. Mind-blowing. Yeah. I think it's just because it's a relatively underfunded science lane, which is kind of bizarre because it is the number one cause of infant death. What are you talking about? Your disability is the number or, one cause? Sorry, of- the, I think the number one co- genetic cause. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, we're going to have to pivot this podcast to something positive very soon. Why is, why is that? Not, I mean... <laughs> so, I have a question. How old was Mr. SMA? The thing is, Mr. SMA is so old that they've stopped counting. He's like nebulous. Really? Yeah, he's he's in the triple digits. Wow, like my grandma? 
Yeah, he's at least, he's hundreds of years old. No, but really, how old is Mr. SMA? What do you mean, no, but really? There's no Mr. SMA. Oh, you lied? Shit. You actually thought there was like, what did you think Mr. SMA was? Like the first guy with SMA? No, wouldn't it make sense that the fucking conference about your disability had a keynote speaker that had the fucking disability? Or was it all just physicians? Oh, that's what you meant. Yeah. No, yeah, that's that was interesting too, the one I watched. None of the speakers had SMA. Fuck off. But to be fair, maybe that's just because nobody with SMA wants to be a phys- physiotherapist. Like, how would you be a physiotherapist with SMA? Just tell them what to do. So I'm going to need you to grab your own arm and pull. If there was some kind of like cerebral palsy festival, you would assume that there would be people with cerebral palsy. It wasn't a festival. <laughs> there wasn't like a parade and really buskers. And like mascots and shit. Yes, my prognosis. <laughs> like fortune tellers. You will die of pneumonia. There's like there's like amusement park rides, but like no one uses them. <laughs> yeah. It's just a VR of an amusement park. <laughs> it's just a pair of VR goggles they put over your face. Yeah. The festival is just, look at all the wheelchairs you'll never get. <laughs> okay, so let's pivot because this is going to get depressing. Um, remember an episode or two back, you asked me to ask Kyle if he became an attendant because of some underlying psychological trauma. Yep. So I hope the answer is yes. I reached out to Kyle. Uh-huh. I didn't actually reach out to Kyle. Kyle, being one of our greatest listeners, uh-huh. shout out to Kyle. Hey, dude. We mention him like every episode pretty much. Him and yeah. Jeff, they're like our... They're like our groupies. Well, they've been on the podcast, so they feel like family now. Fair enough, fair enough. So he did reach out to me, and he, after hearing that question, he said to let you know. Actually, you know what? Let me just pull up the exact quote. You wrote it down? Well, it was on a text message. Oh, I'm an idiot. We were talking, and I was like, just a second. Can I get my voice recorder? Okay, so Kyle said, to answer Jamie's question, I did not join a tenant services because of any deep-seated trauma. I did it for the money, fame, and the rock and roll lifestyle. Obviously. And the rock and roll lifestyle? And that makes a lot of sense. The fame has now come to being on our podcast, which has blown up to tens of listeners. Exactly. And the rock and roll lifestyle, you know, I think that there's probably at least one story where Kyle is accidentally peed on, which seems pretty rock and roll. I was going to say, like, uh, doing cocaine and filling urinals. Yeah, it's a glorious position. Um, but then he also asked me to do a My Sharona parody. And I forgot about that until right now. Let me think about it over the course of this episode, and I'll see if I can end with something. I'm going to try to do it. I believe I, I believe in your ability to make up a song on the fly. I don't know if the lyrics will actually be funny. I'm going to think about it on the back burner this whole time while you're talking. Do you think I'm just going to fill, I'm just going to talk this whole episode? Generally, as soon as we say we watched a movie, it's all a year for 15 minutes. <laughs> oh, that's really sad. 
don't know. You give your synopsis, you drink your coffee, you eat your cake, you pull out your newspaper, and you give us a scoop. Tony, if you and I live together, we're going to have coffee cake once a week. Is that two different things? What do you mean? Like coffee and cake? No, we're going to have coffee cake. What is coffee cake? Cake that you eat with coffee. You don't even know what coffee cake is? How could you be so sugar illiterate? Is it not just coffee and cake? No, coffee cake is a specific genre of cake that is infused with coffee. There's coffee in the cake? Yes, it's that coffee. That sounds terrible. What? I just, come on. If we live together, there will be no coffee cake. Did they just forbid you from eating sweets in your uh, uh uh, wherever you grew up in your laundry room. If you said to me, hey, if we're going to live together every week, there's going to be chip pop. <laughs> I would be more into it. Chip pop? I don't know. It's the equivalent of coffee cake. Yeah, no, I, I just don't have any. The, the serotonin and dopamine that you get from sweets, I get from salty, crunchy foods. And spicy foods. But I honestly just, and I don't want to belabor on this topic for too long because we seem to come across it very often, but I, you just, I, you haven't given it much of a chance. You don't know that. I just didn't give it as much of a chance as you do every day. <laughs> I don't eat sweets every day. I would be a very significantly obese person if I did. Do you not? No, I don't. I thought you had dessert every day with dinner. No, I, I I have to decline dessert every day for my parents, but I do not consume it every day. How often out of uh, seven days do you think you have dessert? Two. Really? Yeah. Okay, so this is one. And I'll probably talk to you almost every day this week. Uh-huh. So are you going to do fact check me? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. All right. That's fine. Whatever. You'll be like the regime in Gattaca that checks my piss in my stool for evidence of sweets. Okay, so before we talk about Gattaca, I also wanted to say to any of Jamie's friends that are listening. Oh, no, I know what you're going to say. I would like you <laughs> to just, without his knowledge, <laughs> without his permission, I would like you to start taking pictures of him <laughs> when he's not really at his peak, but not like, not indisposed but just like catch him in a good moment but unaware that you're taking a picture you've never met my friends if i'm you... not talking to you right now i'm talking <laughs> to your friends if you solicit my friends so i would like for you to start taking pictures of jamie and sending them to me and first of all okay go sorry go ahead you you can find ways to get in touch with me i know that you some of you already have ways of getting in touch with me. Be creative, but also I don't want Jamie to be involved in these pictures. As in, I don't want him to be involved in the taking of the pictures. I don't want him to know that you have taken the pictures. Because what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be taking these pictures and unannounced to Jamie, <laughs> except for this right now, I'm going to start posting them <laughs> as stories on our podcast's Instagram. <laughs> because Jamie did this to me. And I'm sorry. I didn't get mad, but I 
intend on getting even. <laughs> Can I give some context, please? Please reach out to me and start sending me pictures. The best pictures, as in the ones that don't make Jamie look bad, but the, the ones that he might be slightly embarrassed to be out there. I will post them. Okay, okay. I'm going to predict what's going to happen, okay? There are two types of people who would hear your your call to action and actually oblige. Uh-huh. One is one is my friend Franco, who faith, faithfully listens to the podcast and loves you. So I'm sure he would do <clears throat> whatever you ask. Uh, and he has a history of taking like video and picture evidence of my existence. So he'll probably do that very happily. Mm-hmm. And then also there's my sister who regularly tries to take pictures of me in order to update my fucking Facebook profile or whatever, because she just knows that I'm very self-conscious about photos of myself. Okay. <clears throat> and I know you're in the same boat because you have internalized ableism like I do and you potentially some body dysmorphia. And so you don't even like to consider the fact that there might be a picture of you where you look particularly fucking handsome. That's not what this is about. Don't try to, <laughs> don't even try that little thing. I know you're trying. It's not about me and my not being confident in the way I look. Uh-huh. That's not what it's about. Yeah, but except. Nice try. No, no, hold on just a minute. You can. No, say- I appreciate the effort. <laughs> You you consult with us, like, you know, for advice on sprucing up your dating profiles and stuff like that. So, and and you've let our friends wield your social media outlets for other purposes because you trust them. And so I figured I had some license there to post a picture of you where you did look really fucking like good, you know, but I'm sorry. I'm so sorry that give, I did that. To give people who don't know the context. Yeah. A, a picture was taken of me. Like, and again, I wasn't aware that this picture was taken yeah. at the time. Like I wasn't posing for a picture. It, it, which In the picture, you were actually sitting and eating coffee cake, which was what confuses me so much. Yeah, yeah, I was eating coffee cake, <laughs> just got off my elliptical. <laughs> I was just transferring my, from my, my elliptical to my walker. Right. And this picture was taken to me. And I didn't know the picture was taken or being taken because, yeah, I'm not really, I don't, I don't know. I like to live in the present and pictures just don't really register as something I need to do. Mm-hmm. I, I, I agree. We've talked about this before. Like I, I enjoy looking at pictures. I think it's a great way to go back on a memory, but I'm never thinking about pictures. And when someone wants to take a picture of me, I have a hard time taking that moment seriously posing and smiling for the camera or whatever. Right. In this particular photo, you weren't posing. You were just your natural, sexy self. Right, because I didn't know there was a picture being taken. Yeah, and so that's that's exactly how I would want other people to see you who are looking at you in a dating context. And that's how I want people to start taking pictures of you and sending them to me, is when you're not posing. Oh, if people take a picture of me without my knowledge... I'll probably be falling out of my chair in the middle of playing a video game or I'll be like like making a weird spazzy CP face in the middle of a thought or a poo. Why are people taking pictures of you while you're pooing? I don't know. Ask Franco. He's definitely the type of person who would barge into the bathroom as a joke and take a picture. <laughs> Have you met my friends? My friends are like single dudes in their 30s in Northwestern Ontario. Okay, like everything is a prank. 
like nothing is off the table. Like, right, right. I know, I get it. So, anyway, I hope that message gets <laughs> anyway. clear. Franco, you know, if you're listening or anyone else listening, spread the word. Spread They're going to get to a you. picture of me in a fucking sauna. Okay. I don't know if they have those outside of Thunder Bay, but they're. <laughs> <laughs> they don't. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, I'll take them all and I'll filter them. I'm not going to just post whatever picture comes my way Uh because I want it to have the same effect that it did. By the way, your picture got a a resoundingly positive reception from most of our faithful listeners of the podcast and other people who like our Instagram. It wasn't that it was a bad picture. Yeah, it's just that you didn't want it to... You didn't... I didn't tell you. I was... I was kind of enjoying my anonymity. Yeah, sorry, Tony. People didn't even know what I looked like. I know. I crossed a boundary because I was like, he's not going to let me. Because I was like, hey, this is, if I came to you and I was like, hey, Tony, that's a nice picture of you. You should post it. You would have been like, no. I've, been, I've had Instagram for a couple of years and never once posted a picture on it. I know. Which I started to kind of feel self-conscious about because it feels a bit creepy to not have pictures up there. Uh I'll admit, when you posted that picture, the first thing, and I found out because I got a notification that someone had liked the picture. Yeah, which is how you should find out. And I was like, what picture? (laughs) So I looked it up and I was like, oh, Jamie. Yeah, I did it. And I was mad for like three-fifths of a second. Okay, I was like, this guy. (laughs) And then I was like, all right, you know what? I, I see what he's trying to do here. He's not doing it. Uh, he's doing it because he thinks it's a good picture. Yeah. And he's not trying to upset me or make me look bad in any way. And I appreciate that. You know, it wasn't a bad picture. No. I did have, there's something about Mary hair going on. Well, whatever. I mean, who doesn't have jizz in their hair from time to time? Yeah, no, it's fine. And my hair often looks like that because of the headdress but your hair looked good like whatever your your hair looks great have you seen my fucking hair it's pathetic when i grow it out i look like fucking rick sanchez from rick and morty or shall i say christopher lloyd how many hairstyles have you had zero my whole life i don't know how to style my hair i think it's because i'm on the spectrum (laughs) there are definitely people on the spectrum with good hair really oh shit that was really rude of me for sure (laughs) Imagine like there's a whole like subculture of people with Aspergers who are who are hairdressers, <laughs> and I'm just like totally. If they're listening, I hope they roast you for that. They should. I'm sorry. I don't even think people use the word Aspergers anymore. Really? I think everyone is just on the spectrum now. Oh, okay. Got it. But it's fine. Things. Maybe they'll roast you for that too. This podcast is about growth. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we say whenever we do something petty or shitty. <laughs> uh, so I wanted to get that out there. And then I wanted to sort of pivot to the movie with a quote. Hold on a minute. I have a question for you. Okay. Because last episode, I got frustrated with you because you were telling me stories about your life that week and you didn't get you didn't give me enough details. Right, and then after that episode, you told me a story, and I would like you. To oh, yeah, it. that's true. Yeah, so I did forget about a pretty fun disability story that happened in that time last episode where I was talking about how I went to a restaurant and I choked on an oyster. That actually wasn't the highlight of the night. 
another thing that happened, and maybe it just didn't even register to me because this type of thing happens so frequently. So there was four of us, right? It was uh, me and another guy in a wheelchair and then two able-bodied women or girls, I don't know, <laughs> which they would like to be <laughs> the ladies. They're, they're definitely women. I don't know why you tripped on that. There's a whole thing I was going to do, and I just decided not to. (laughs) (laughs) And now it just looks like I don't know what to call females. This is why you have so many dating troubles, Tony. (laughs) (laughs) My first message is, are you a woman or a girl? Yeah, yeah. Or are you an old hag or what? (laughs) What are you? Fascist hag. Sorry. Let me rewind. Uh, There was me. And another guy in a wheelchair and two women and a man, an older man or boy. I'm not sure. (laughs) Was he wearing a priest collar? No. I'm always curious about these things. No. So he was this, this older man. I'm going to say like fifties or sixties, potentially older. I don't know. I wasn't really like counting the wrinkles or something, but like an old enough man where he should probably know better, mm-hmm. but also an old enough man where maybe he's forgotten how to live in our current society. Like maybe he's old enough that he has like early onset dementia and he hasn't really, he's not trying to offend anyone, but he just like, it's sort of out of touch mm-hmm. or like naively insensitive. So he comes up to the table and he says to one of us in the wheelchair, uh, I don't know if it was me or the other guy, I can't remember. He's like, um, good for you. I think you might have even been saying good for you to one of the girls. Like, you know, good for you for being there with them or something. And then he goes, what do you have? And under my breath to the girl beside me, I'm like, what do you have? Like, kind of just like, just, I just spewed it out yeah it was a reflex because you were instantly offended so it was knee jerk i wasn't even offended i just thought it was like well i guess i was offended but i thought it would be like a funny sort of counter question to maybe make him realize what he was doing was strange yeah and so i said it but i said it pretty quietly and you know this about me i often say things quietly because i don't speak loud But I also am so used to people not hearing me, I can kind of get away with saying a lot of things more or less under my breath. Right. So I said, oh, what do you have? But the girl beside me just kind of, in her knee-jerk reaction, heard what I said and just said it so that he could hear. Yeah. So I'm like, what do you have? And she's like, oh, what do you have? That's beautiful. I love that so much. It was really, really cool of her, I think. Yeah. Because she was, it was almost like she was sticking up for us. Right. And that friend, we should clarify, is a good friend of yours. Yeah. Knows you very well. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I, she's also, we, we've only recently started hanging out um, in the past like couple of years. Yeah. And so her experience with these types of incidents is limited compared to mine of 30 years right because you don't really encounter a lot of this brand of ignorance within attendant care no but out in out in public as a whole other ball game 
And actually, I found even friends of mine who I've had for years and years, we usually go to the same hangouts together, the same places. So they don't actually see the way that perfect strangers receive me. And when they do experience it for the first time, it's often a degree of culture shock. Yeah. And I've I've talked about this before, but my favorite example of that is when I went through airport security with one of my closest friends. He thought that the whole procession was so over the top in the way that they give you the full pat down and they check every crevice of the chair and they rope your ass and like feel between your legs and shit. And he said something like, oh, make sure you check his butt again. I think think there's, I don't know, like he he said something really witty and it sort of also made them self-conscious and everyone laughed. And that was like one of the most... I just wanted to hug him after that. I was like, fuck, I love you. Like, thank you for that. I actually went again with the same person to a concert over the weekend. Mm-hmm. And they did the same thing where they started like checking my bag and just going through every single zipper of my bag. Mm-hmm. And she didn't, she held back. But she said after she was so close to being like, check again, there's drugs in there. Right, exactly. Like, like she held back because... You know, if they don't hear the sarcasm, it's the same as a yelling bomb on an airplane, you know? Mm-hmm, of course. Part of me is kind of cool with it because it's good of them to also check my bag, you know, as opposed to being like, oh, don't check the guy in the wheelchair's bag because he's in a wheelchair. It's like give them the same treatment that you would anyone. But there was another guy in a wheelchair right behind me and who I was also with. When I went through, I went through first. She checked all of my bag, every pocket. Then she's like, okay, you're good to go. Then she looks at him, who also has a bag and a couple more bags than me, doesn't check any of his bags. Strange. Or like maybe very briefly does. But definitely not to the same extent. Maybe she felt guilty for how how long it took. Yeah, or yeah. she just figured the two of you were together, and if you didn't have any contraband, then it was less likely that your friend did or something. <laughs> anyway, so back to the restaurant. When I said this, and then she said this, you know, what do you have? He actually heard it, and I started to feel bad, because he's like, oh, sorry, like, I wasn't, like, he apologized, and basically, like, tried to explain that he wasn't trying to be insensitive. He just... He said, he said something like, I just care a lot or something, mm, yeah. which like isn't an excuse. No. But I still felt bad. He was like this older man. Like, uh, you know, I wasn't trying to ruin his night, but at the it's same time. It's a weird thing. It's like asking somebody their ethnicity and then they like look clearly shocked. And then you're like, oh, I'm not racist. I just care a lot. <laughs> it's like That's a great, that's a great analogy because. You can ask someone where they're from, but you wouldn't just walk up to a random stranger and be like, where are you from? I feel like you'd let the person breach the topic first. I don't not necessarily. I don't think it's rude to be like, so are you from around here? Oh, well, that's different. It depends if you're actually like, if... if... I think it depends how you phrase it, how you say it. Mm -hmm, But he was like, what do you have? But if he said it with like a little bit more compassion, maybe, or something... Where he's like, oh, like, what do you have? Maybe that would be a bit different. I, I, the thing that kind of gets me is I don't really understand why the, the 
the debate the general axioms of like social pleasantries like don't often get applied to disabled people whenever you enter into a discussion with a perfect stranger there's usually some unconscious rules that the conversation abides and for some reason people just throw all that shit out the window when they interact with a disabled person for the first time yeah it's like this guy's like a 60 year old man like maybe he's a little bit aloof maybe he is a retiree who doesn't interact with people very often or whatever but i'm pretty sure he knows how to fucking hold a discussion maybe and you you, you don't come out the gate like asking a disabled person as your very first introductory question right what do you have i think that's the issue is that it was like the only real thing that he wanted to say was he just wanted to talk about how we are disabled, which means that the fact that we're people is second. Oh yeah, for sure. And so it's just like, what is your disability? What makes you different from me? Yeah. Instead of like, what can we connect on? That's why I think it would be the same thing as going up to a person and just being like, where are you from? That's, I don't think that's an unfair question. But after you've built some connection and rapport with the person. The reason I'm saying all this is because I don't want someone to hear this conversation and think that it's rude to ask ever what someone's disability is. Of course it isn't. Right. I think it just shouldn't probably be the first first point of conversation. And it also needs to be... The way you ask is, like, do you actually care about the answer because you're trying to empathize with their life or are you just trying to relate it back to yourself somehow? The thing is like whenever these interactions occur, like the general vibe is the same that you get when like a middle-aged or older person like encounters a cute newborn and they're like, Oh, what's going on here? Oh, this is so, yeah. Yeah. He's so cute. Like, or like asking about a person's dog in a dog park. Like the, 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 what kind of dog is it? Yeah. yeah, the the whole like aura or vibe of infantilism is just like thick in the air, and it's so annoying. It's especially annoying when you can tell that the person participating in this like is not a complete idiot. Yeah. Like they've just let all their guard down because they've found a person in a wheelchair, and they're like, "Oh my god!" And they throw their hands up and act like a fucking doofus. It drives me nuts. It actually ended with his, I'm guessing, wife coming over as if like she left first then he left and saw us and got distracted by the disabled guys yeah and she she turned around like "Uh oh came back and was like we have to go (laughs) yeah like pulling him away so when i had my um interview for my viral video with the local newspaper in thunder bay called the chronicle journal um there was a like a seasoned reporter i looked him up afterwards uh, he's been at the paper for over uh, 10 years, I believe. I think he's like in his 60s. He's a seasoned writer, basically. And I could tell by talking to him that he actually knew what he was doing. He had a very writerly kind of disposition and his voice was like, I, I, I don't know. I just got like good vibes from him, like from a professional standpoint. And throughout the conversation, like the interview went pretty well. His questions were fun. But then... Toward the end, he hit upon his second last question. He asked me if I had a job. And the funny thing was, is that he carried himself with such like poise and confidence throughout the whole thing. And then all of a sudden, when he hit the question, do you have a job? I could tell he felt uncomfortable asking because 
he wasn't sure if it was incentive. You don't think it was his question? No, I think it was his question, but I think he thought, oh, maybe that's a sensitive subject because he's unemployed because of his disability. Well, I don't know. I kind of understand that. And then the whole gesture from the elevator, maybe I'm thinking too too deeply about this, but he might have assumed that the reason my friend installed the elevator at his place is because I can't Um, afford one for my own place. Do you not have a job? Could you not have paid for this? (laughs) Couldn't you have gotten yourself an elevator? No, yeah. This comes up quite a bit in dating apps, and I know it's a super different context, or even just like getting to know someone in general. What do you do is kind of like a pretty standard question. I wish that was the first question that people ask me when they first meet me, but it is rarely that. And I think it's because part of them, it it thinks that same thing you're saying is like, oh, maybe they don't do anything because they're disabled. And that would be a rude question to ask. Right. And I could see it being an uncomfortable question if the answer was, I collect unemployment checks or I collect disability wouldn't it be fantastic if anybody, if anytime anyone had an uncomfortable question to ask us, they were like, hey, before I continue with this, this question does make me uncomfortable. But do you have a job? <laughs> like I, or I don't really care about the answer. I'm just making small talk. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. No judgments if the answer is no or yes. <laughs> but sometimes I wish people would just let their awkwardness like live out in the open. And just be honest about their uncomfortableness. I think some people for sure do. Some people do, but often those people have been through some shit in order to get to the point where they can like make the cringe visible. Yeah, I've started like before someone wants to meet up when I'm dating app now, I'm just like straight up, just so you know, you do know I'm in a wheelchair, right? I I've done that several times. Yeah, like... I'm not hiding it anywhere. Yeah. I'm maybe not advertising it either, but like, I just don't want you to think that I'm catfishing you because I've been accused of that. You like send them a resume, but it's not job experience. It's like Like what you can do. The formal definition of your, uh, your disability and the types of dates you can go on. It's like abilities. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Cannot. Brush own teeth. <laughs> Cannot feed self. Can talk. Can eat food. Can receive blowjob. <laughs> I accidentally send it to an employer and say, <laughs> Imagine they hired you on that basis. <laughs> so I see here on your resume, you can receive blowjob. Um, this is Google, so <laughs> not sure how that's relevant, but your education looks great. You are a ocasio with fellatio. I'm going to cut that out. I don't know how I got on this topic. I'm sorry, listeners. I'll grow up now. You're literally sat up in your chair. Like the posture is going to make you less <laughs> vulgar. <laughs> Across my legs. <laughs> Pulls out a book. I put on my reading glasses. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I want to pivot because we've been talking for a while and we haven't gotten to the movie we watched yet. Mm -hmm. And I want to open with how the movie that we watched 
which is Gattaca, how this movie opens, which is with a quote. And I like movies that start with quotes. I know you think it can be lazy, but I think it's like a shortcut to what the writer and the team is thinking when they make a movie. And the quote that started this movie was from the Bible, my old best friend. And the quote is (laughs) Ecclesiastes 7.13, which says, Consider God's handiwork. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? I want that quote on a shirt so badly. So we're going to make merch. Yeah. Decided. Yeah. Where we sell this t-shirt. Who should be commissioned to do that? Get Michael to do it again? It's not hard to make a t-shirt. Michael, shirts, please. <laughs> I don't mind doing it either. I've made shirts <laughs> before. Cool. Um, but I definitely want this on a shirt. And we'll get each other one. I just think it's a hilarious. I mean, it's going to it's gonna make us look like we're devout Christians. who, And this is like our scripture. But that's okay. I'm fine with that. Can you say the quote one more time for me? I just like it so yeah. much. Consider God's handiwork. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? Like we're meant to be crooked. Like who are we to try to straighten what was made crooked on purpose? Exactly. It's wonderful. God did this. Why are you trying to straighten it? Yeah. God is the OG. Just leave it alone. The original God. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's the movie. Have a good night. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) There's another quote which I'm not really as into, but I'll just say it anyway. Tony, can I say something a little bit awkward before you proceed? Uh-huh. I want to make a t-shirt of the picture that I posted of you on Instagram. Why? <laughs> Are you just saying that to get a rise out of me? No, maybe. Well, you can wear it if you want. I will. Okay. Don't, don't underestimate me. I'll do it. I'll have nothing to do with it. <laughs> I won't help you make the shirt. I won't condone you wearing a shirt. And I'll 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 create a ledger of all the people who look at my shirt and think, damn, that's a sick shirt. And it'll it's the title of the shirt will be Hot Autumnal Tony, because you'd be wearing that mustard sweater that looks so good. Yeah, okay, good luck. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine people come up to you and they're like they start like misrecognizing me for someone famous. They're like, I, I never knew Steve Buscemi was so handsome. Okay, I've never hated you more. <laughs> so the second quote was, <laughs> I not only think that we will tamper with Mother Nature, I think Mother wants us to. Ugh, those are two opposing quotes. Yeah. I don't like that shit. Which I, I get the point, because the movie's sort of struggling with... Those two ideas? Whether or not we should... Mess with nature. Uh huh. I don't think mother wants us to tamper. I don't know. I think it's hubris to think that we can at all tamper with anything that way. Well, we are mother nature, right? So anything we do is mother nature's doing. Yeah. Uh, So anyway, tell us about, tell me about Gattaca. All right. So Gattaca is a science fiction movie from 1997 Mm -hmm. starring Ethan Hawke, Uma Thurman. Jude Law, Tony Shalhoub. Alan Arkin. Alan Arkin. And what's his fucking face? The intellectual. Uh, I don't know who that guy was. Xander Berkeley? No, 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 no. 
It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So anyway, star-studded cast. Film's called Gattaca. I don't know even what Gattaca refers to, to be perfectly honest with you. Oh, I can Isn't... answer that question. Sure, sure. So the, when you break down a DNA sequence uh-huh. into, I don't really know. I guess I, I said I can answer it a little bit too eagerly. <laughs> when you break down a DNA sequence, it comes out in G, T, and A. And it's just like basically a, a, a huge long string of the letters G, T, and A. And within that string, you'd probably be able to find the word Gattaca. Oh, that's weird. So it's like it's like a sequence of characters that defines the blood? Exactly. Well, not just the blood, but you know, like the whole DNA helix. Oh, so Gattaca is a particular example of a strain of blood because it's combinations of GT. Yeah, but not blood, but like DNA. DNA. Yeah. Deoxyribonucleic acid. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Proflex. Okay, okay. Interesting. I thought Gattaca was like the space program that Ethan Hawke is trying desperately to participate in. Well, I think Gattaca is the name of the town or something in the movie, but that's where it comes from. Okay, so Gattaca is a retro-futuristic dystopian film about a man... Retro-futuristic? What does that mean? That means that it combines... Um, elements of modernity like think 1950s and 60s Jetsons with like postmodern grime and filth and dark dystopian elements like Blade Runner yeah so it's in the future but the 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 aesthetics evoke the past okay that's a very cool word I like it it's hard to say retro futuristic retro futuristic I think Rod Burgundy would use it to calibrate his voice Retro-futuristic. Yeah, okay. All right, so uh, in this dystopian world, uh, we figured out how to engineer the perfect baby, given the optimal seed from a man. Ew, seed is such a weird thing to say. I mean, Continue. that's what... that You want me to say jizz? <laughs> yes, actually. You want me to say cum? Like, what the kind fuck? Of. You were ashamed of my fellatio joke earlier. Right. All right, so given the spunk of a dude and the vagina... Okay, say seed. Yeah, the seed from... The optimal seed from a man, an egg from a woman, you you produce the best possible baby that could come from two people who love each other or like to bone. Um, And then they produce the baby in vitro, and then they're able to produce like a rap sheet that predicts the kinds of fatal illnesses that the person will have over the course of their lifetime, you know, like basically how long they will live and what they're likely to die from. And so based on, on this criteria, um, they are assigned roles in society or they're at least excluded from certain prestigious occupations and or classes, I suppose. And so uh, Ethan Hawke's character, who's our main protagonist, he is born naturally, and then he's given a life expectancy of 31 years, and he's predicted to, to die of heart failure. So he has like some sort of arrhythmia or something, or they presume that he does. And so he's basically turned into a third-class citizen. He's a janitor 
And even though he has aspirations of becoming an astronaut and of um, outperforming his sibling, who is later born in vitro because his parents are worried or afraid of natural births after he is born. They consider him some kind of Frankensteinian monster or whatever because they conceived him naturally. Um, So basically, yeah, like the movie is him trying to fool the bureaucracy. Ethan Hawke. Yeah, fool the state into believing that he's actually an eligible astronaut. Right. So he basically spends the whole movie like tricking their bioinformatics uh, tools and software and whatnot into thinking he's a different person. Imagine if we were born in this world. Like, obviously, we would be considered invalids, but... Literally, that's what they call us already. Well, yeah. But wouldn't it be kind of cool to see the retrofuturistic effect of the future part of it being telling us our exact prognosis right from birth? I feel like I had orthopedic surgeons tell me how fucked up I was on multiple occasions. Yeah, but it was way off, right? I don't know. I don't I blocked out those discussions because they were so cruel. Oh, well, I can tell you mine were way off. Oh, well, oh, sorry, in terms of life expect- expectancy for you or just like prognosis, you know, like even just like what you were talking about before, this person will never have a job even. Right, right, right. Okay, so you you want to know how that particular regime would assess you? Would you want to know how you die? No. Yeah, me neither. Would you want to know when you're going to die? Nope. Yeah, me neither. Would you want to know who's going to be there when you die? No. Would you want to know any details about your death? No. After I die, it's over. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I would just, my whole life would be anxiety trying to avoid that one scenario from happening. Anyway, okay, so... Yeah, they're like, okay, you have an invalid baby. And then later they have a valid baby. And the baby's kids sort of compete. And it's not really a competition because physically speaking, just because they were able to handpick all of the physical and personality traits that they wanted, the valid baby or child was above and beyond in pretty much every category. So yeah, Ethan Hawke's character spends his childhood being dominated by his older brother in certain physical activities. Yeah. And to be honest, the whole like kind of introduction of the film up to the point where uh, Ethan Hawke is a 27-year-old janitor at a space program um, is kind of boring. Like, Yeah, it, has, it starts with like Dexter vibes where it just, he's like, it's like a montage of microscopic cinematography zooming in on a hair he's like shaving every piece of hair off his face and then scrubbing all the dead skin off his body mm-hmm. injecting blood into a fake fingerprint so yeah we should clarify that the opening montage of the film starts off the movie in media res it's like right in the middle of of um ethan Hawke's scheme to become an astronaut. He's talking about his morning routine, much like Patrick Bateman in American Psycho, where he talks about just the excruciating amount of steps he has to take in order to um, pretend to be 
a different person. So he has to have like fake fingerprints. He has to yeah. um, shed all the extraneous like dead skin and hair off his body. So they don't get real DNA off him. He has to sprinkle like hairs and dead, dead skin. But we don't fully know why he's doing it right away. No, we don't. But the movie is fascinated by forensics, basically. Yeah. And so the opening sequence is just like dandruff zoomed in and like watching hair follicles like sprinkle down onto a glass surface as he prepares his day to pretend to be Jude Law, who is actually a valid person and has a similar build and like uh, blood type and yada yada as him. So he can basically like more easily pull off the um, the fraud. This movie having come out in 1997, the whole idea of forensic science is kind of new, I think, at least to the average like moviegoer, popcorn yeah, well, they had, like, parts of the movie, like, I know I'm skipping ahead, but they're going to Saturn. That's, like, the astronaut's mission. Mm-hmm. And then they have pictures on their displays that look like like 120p. Yeah, but that that's a, a trope of, or, like, a, a fairly common characteristic of postmodern science fiction. Like... In Blade Runner, all the tech in that movie looks like yeah, that's true. basically like old old computers and handheld devices kind of stitched together with like newer innovations. I think it was just to drive the plot so that it was harder for them to see the picture of the guy that they were looking for. <laughs> so it would be less obvious that they're not the same person? Yeah. Um, I'm kind of worried we haven't given our listeners enough context. I don't. I feel like people watch the movie before they listen to us talk about it in general. Gattaca is pretty popular too, so it's yeah. sort of floating around in the ether of the pop cultural collective. Yeah. Anyway, we should talk about the really elements of this movie. We should, but before we do that, I just kind of want to pick on one thing that you said earlier about yourself and whether or not you you could deal with knowing the terms of your death. Okay. I was just thinking, like, let's uh, let's say you die in some kind of um, uh, great gasoline fight accident. Yeah, yeah. You know, Ben Stiller accidentally covers you in gasoline and uh, sets you on fire. Yeah. But let's say you find out that you die in a traffic collision as a pedestrian crossing the street in your power chair. Okay. Then you decide that you're not going to leave your house as much. You're not going to be the Tony that you know and love. You're not going to be autonomous and fun because you know that you're going to die in your power chair on the road somewhere. Like that would suck. You get a kind of paralysis. You it would it would traumatize you. Yeah, no, I said I, I wouldn't want to know. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, for that exact reason, because I would be constantly like trying to avoid those certain situations. So I would just not cross the street, or every time I cross the street, I would be. But at least I'd have, like, if I could just tell people when they're like, why do you always wait till there's no cars in sight before you cross the street? Because I was told that this is how, I don't think people would be like, okay. Imagine you found out you died, like, while pooping, and then, so now you're just always constipated. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, you could cut that. That's terrible. Or you just, every time you poop, you're like, got another one in. 
Yeah, like every poop is that much more cathartic because like you're a moved. milestone. Yeah, yeah. Four hundred and fifty-three right. days, poop death free. Should we talk about poop more? You want to talk about I, the movie? I'm done. So it's a really movie because <laughs> there's a wheelie in it. That's true. There is. It's a terrible wheelie movie, by the way. The really elements of the movie are bad. I did not like this film at all. I, I I should clarify. This was one of like the required watching kind of movies when I was in high school. So it it was always like on my radar, and I was like an avid reader of all the of all the major dystopian novels that were big, like in grade nine and ten English. So I read like Brave New World and A Clockwork Orange and nineteen eighty four. Fahrenheit 451, or yeah, Fahrenheit 451, all those books, and a bunch of Kurt Vonnegut stuff. But this movie kind of sucks for its disabled element. Yeah, I agree. But I I really did like the premise. Like, to me, the science fiction premise of eugenics or, like, gene manipulation, like, we're already sort of there to certain extents where people are pre-screening their babies for certain disabilities. Yeah. Even you could argue or some would argue that we're in a kind of situation right now where the unvaccinated are declared invalids. Yeah. And you know, like I am obviously pro vaccination, but you can you can draw that parallel. Well you can. Like you can I went to a concert on the weekend, like I said, and they check you when you get there to make sure you have both vaccines or they're what you're in. But, like, I was reading up on Down syndrome for the last episode. And in, I think, Sweden, they now test or screen for Down syndrome in babies and pregnancies. And as a result of that, the number of cases of people with Down syndrome is, like, through the floor. Wow. Yeah. I don't know how to feel about that. Yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, I have some very personal probably bordering on i don't know if i can bring it up without just sounding depressed or depressing but i know personal stories of people who test their pregnancies for certain predisposed conditions and would or have opted to not have babies based on those results yeah so i like the premise it makes you think it doesn't make you like sort of think and I like that. I don't think the execution was all that exciting to me. No, it deals with some big ideas, but it doesn't necessarily interrogate them very well. Yeah. One thing that I kind of like about the film. No, let's start over. The disabled element. Yeah. Jude Law plays a man not related to Ethan Hawke who has been deemed according to his biological resume to be a valid person. Um, he scores high in all the, um, physiological metrics that say that he's super fit and he'll live long and whatever. He has no major defects and yet certain things happen to him throughout the first 30 years of his life. We don't know what exactly, but he ends up disabled. I think we know he got hit by a car, no? Is that what happened? I I thought they left it intentionally vague. Maybe, maybe I inferred that somehow i don't think tony shaloub says specifically what happened to him to render him into a wheelchair but he basically lives alone 
in a swanky apartment with stairs because he moved in when he was ambulatory and collects his own body matter, dead skin, hair, like eye snot, you know, goobers, jizz, uh, blood, tears, and poop. Anything else? <laughs> That's all I could think of. Yeah. <laughs> he basically helps Ethan Hawke pretend to be him. Yeah, Tony Shalhoub is an important character in this because he, Jude Law does this basically because Tony Shalhoub exists. Right. And Tony Shalhoub is kind of this guy who is like, hey, because of the world we live in, you have to be valid in order to get certain parts of society to work for you. Yeah. So if you want, I can give you a service that is called, what's it called? Like climbing the ladder or jumping the ladder or something like that. Yeah, it's got some kind of uh, clever euphemism, but I can't remember what it is. Or also known as degenerates. Degenerates. Sounds like something you would say as like a throwaway joke. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I love how I can use words to fart in your face, even though we interact strictly remotely. That's really cool of you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Good job. Yeah. You're welcome. So this degenerate, Tony Shalhoub basically connects valids with invalids who want to be valids. That's not confusing. It is confusing, right? So disabled man is Jude Law and is quote unquote valid because of his genetics. And the world doesn't know that he's disabled. So he still qualifies as valid. Able-bodied man, Ethan Hawke, is a faith birth or love birth or something. Uh So he's considered invalid because he's got some heart defects. Yep. But Ethan Hawke wants to be an astronaut. So the only way to be an astronaut is to have the genetic profile of a valid. Right. And they sell it as Tony Shalhoub is like, all right, I will hook you up, give you all the tools and the expertise you need to be able to use Jude Law's genome, i.e. DNA, to become him on paper but you get your body and it's almost confusing saying it out loud. Uh, He connects them. He's sort of like the DNA fixer or whatever. The thing that I didn't really get out of it was, so I understand what's in it for Ethan Hawke. He gets to work at Gattaca's space station or whatever, but I still don't, they say that Jude Law did it because he wanted to maintain his lavish lifestyle, i.e. live in a super swanky but inaccessible house. And because Ethan Hawke would get this great job, he would be able to pay the salary or the rent. Basically, Jude Law makes his living collecting his his waste from his body. Yeah. But it raises some interesting kind of questions. Your lack of clarity with Jude Law's motivation is actually a criticism of the film because the movie doesn't actually bother to provide him with a real or engaging motivation. He's a plot device for the movie. He's definitely a plot device. And I would argue that Ethan Hawke is actually exploiting Jude Law 
Oh, I don't think that's a stretch at all. No, and the relationship is not properly reciprocal. But the movie wants us to think that they are two characters experiencing the same kind of pain and oppression, but from opposite ends of the spectrum. So they both have a kind of lack of a sense of belonging or a dissonance with their role in the world because, you know, Ethan Hawke is a biological invalid. So he's a fraud at birth and then also a fraud in his desire to be an astronaut and pretend to be bet and pretend to be biologically better. But then Jude Law feels fraudulent because the world tells him that he is valid and yet he's in a wheelchair, which according to the movie is enough of a challenge in and of itself to define a person's character entirely and to be the sole reason for his kind of pain and his unwillingness to live, which is an incredibly shallow portrait of a wheelie. Incredibly shallow. Yeah. And like, I guess you could chalk it up to the movie being 24 years old or 25 years old or whatever. Mm -hmm. But even still... I don't think in 1997, all wheelies wanting to kill themselves. No, it's it's really uh, quite pathetic. Um, the other kind of interesting thing for me about this uh, this whole kind of scenario is like the movie never uses the word eugenics, but it's an interesting idea that if we gained the ability to control our biology to such an extent that we could pr- prevent ourselves from experiencing fatal diseases or defects or whatever you want to call it, disabilities, then like that control would mean that there is no excuse for a disabled person to exist. You become more prejudiced and intolerant because it's now society's fault that people are flawed as opposed to it just being the will of mother nature or of randomness and whatever, the nature of existence. And so this so-called society of ideal people um, is fundamentally fucking prejudice and awful. That's why we shouldn't play God. And that's really interesting to me. But I ended up watching this movie looking at Ethan Hawke like he was a fucking villain. And I didn't like the idea of... Ethan Hawke becoming an astronaut because... Yeah, I wasn't rooting for any of them. No, no. Maybe Uma Thurman a little bit? A little bit because she's Uma Thurman and we like her from other movies. Yeah, but also she seemed like she maybe had the most interesting backstory, but they don't really get into it. The film doesn't bother to develop it. No. I think she's like a... She's an administrative clerk at the movie's version of NASA. She meets Ethan Hawke in the middle of his uh, fraud and they date and she likes him a lot and she can't really tell that he's faking things. But when she finds out that he's not actually a valid astronaut, she embraces him, of course, because she is 1984's Julia, essentially. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. Ethan Hawke is our hero because he becomes an astronaut meritocratically. Like he puts the work in, he pulls himself up by his like little astronaut booties and 
does what he needs to do to go to space. But I don't really think that's a very useful lesson. Like it's asserting that um, even in a situation where we can control our biology, we are all individuals and therefore we can defeat the algorithms that tell us that we will die of diabetes by the time we are 48 or something. It's really dumb. I mean, I don't, I don't not relate to that part. When doctors told me my life expectancy was five years, it just gave me something to prove, you know? It just okay. gave, gave me a little bit of, put some wind in my sails, and like, albeit for sure, was terrifying and traumatizing to hear as a child. Um, but once I got past all that, i.e. I'm not past it, there is a motivating part of it too. I mean, is the motivational aspect worth all the fucking trauma and the No, the... it's not. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I don't I don't condone it. I, I understand that at least for my case, like doctors are trying to be realistic or set expectations for parents. But the alternative I guess is like, no, no, everything's fine. And then the child dies when they're five. And that's traumatizing for the parents. Uh, so it's like, you know, I'm not really sure what the right approach is, but I do sort of relate to the overall premise of the movie in that your predisposed path in life isn't ordained at birth. Right, of course. But I mean, it, that's the whole like American mythos of you can you can become whatever you want to be and you... Yeah, and I think this is just a very bizarre science fiction adaptation of the American dream. And so I, I relate to it a little bit. I'm not saying it's unrelatable. I'm just saying that the the movie um, incorrectly assigns Ethan Hawke the role of protagonist. Maybe, maybe to the movie's credit, it's on purpose. And you're not supposed to feel like one is better than the other. But there The really part of this movie, the actual, what Jude Law brings to the plot and to the emotional development of the characters is so boring to me and uninspired. Yeah, I was thinking that I would love a remake of this movie um, solely from Jude Law's point of view. That would be such a depressing movie. It would be, it would be super depressing. It would be like something that Lars von Trier would do. It would be like a sequel to Melancholia, but just a disabled man's life. And we should say, in the movie, Jude Law is super depressed. He is. Like he's an alcoholic. He basically has nothing to live for. His witticisms are all rooted in just like a deep self-loathing. Yeah. I don't even think at any point he sort of roots for Ethan Hawke's character. There, There isn't really a strong like palatable sense of camaraderie between them. No, when they go to that party together yeah. and they're trying to like bro out, it's so unbelievable to me. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. It's Ethan Hawke's constantly chiding Jude Law for never leaving the house. Yeah. When really it's so difficult for him to leave. And I think he's also afraid of being seen or exposed for being disabled because like, is the movie also implying that they might, get rid of Jude Law if they find out that he's actually a cripple? Yeah. Like, and not a valid? I don't know. I don't think they would get rid of him, but I think that they would 
not let him live in the lavish lifestyle he was wanting. Right. And that was sort of the whole crux of his character was he was this guy who used to be like a pro athlete or whatever, like a swimmer. Mm -hmm. And then through a set of unknown and known circumstances, ends up disabled and still wants this super nice apartment, I guess. Which again, like it's not accessible. He also like this movie supposedly takes place in the future. And yet he's moving around in a really rudimentary manual chair that it looks like they just the prop department didn't even invest any time in trying to figure out what a chair in this world would look like. They just literally no, they went just, they went to the airport. Right. And they got a chair from the front desk. Yeah. And they said, We're making a movie. We'll bring this back in three weeks. Exactly. Yeah, they didn't fit Jude Law for it. So he constantly looks like he's running around in a pair of trousers that aren't his. It's just, it's really unfortunate. He's like in the like dirty overalls version of a wheelchair. Yeah. It's like if you could get a wheelchair at a vending machine, this is what you would get. Like if you could get a fucking wheelchair from Walmart. Yeah. It's like you go to 7-Eleven and you're like, oh, uh, I need a pack of smokes. And do you have a wheelchair back there? <laughs> this is a wheelchair you get like after, like when you uh, bite into a Kinder Surprise. Yeah, it's the same wheelchair you get when your wheelchair doesn't work and you're at a Staples. Yeah, it's an emergency wheelchair. Like when all else fails, it's the kind of chair that, um, honestly, that uh, a technician from MediChair or like whatever your your local wheelchair technician's vendor is. It's one that they bring along with them if they think they're going to have to take your power chair away, like off-site. It's the chair that they bring to get you from the cab to your doctor's appointment. Yeah, it's it's the equivalent of like the firefighters like crisis blanket that they throw over you like when your house is on fire and they're like here this will hug you while your <laughs> your life falls apart. And 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 fucking alcoholic Jude Law has to live in this fucking shitty chair and his apartment has a fucking spiral staircase. Yeah. By the way, whoever thought that spiral staircases were practical even from an able-bodied standpoint I think architects use stairs just to impress people. <laughs> yeah. It's like if you have a bunch of stairs, it means that you live above all the plebes or something. It, right, right. And th- th- they, they are somewhat pleasing to look at because their function, like, I don't know, you could stare at a spiral staircase for a couple seconds and like not really think about its practical application. I never feel pleased when I look at the flight of stairs. Oh, really? You know what I do like is like landscaped stairs. What the like hell is that? Rock, mean? You know, like when you, when someone landscapes the front of their house and they have like rock steps going up to their, that's beautiful to me. My parents did that for our core floor home. How ridiculous is that? <laughs> it's beautiful. But then again, make a nice paved pathway that's sloped. So they eventually did that. Um, they, but, but only for my sister's wedding because they didn't want Sarah to trip when she came through the front door. So how did you get in all the time? I had to go through the garage. Oh, okay. You have a separate entrance. Yeah. I basically live in Jude Law's apartment. Just kidding. I love my parents. <laughs> they don't listen to this. <laughs> 
So yeah, spiral staircases are stupid and they're purely for the optics. They look like you, they get about a hundred like good uses from like regularly sized able-bodied people, and then they just fall apart or something. They look fun to slide down the railing on, though. Like when you're a six-year-old child. Yeah, but you just lie down on your stomach and just go down. Right. So a remake of this movie from Jude Law's perspective, where y- you find out that he actually thinks that Ethan Hawke is a total fucking psycho. Yeah. And he's doing little things to like try to sabotage him. That would be really cool. Wouldn't it be awesome? Almost like just this, like a thriller. If there would be reinterpretations of various scenes where Ethan Hawke thinks that he pulled one over his supervisor or he yeah. thwarted the police in their local investigation of a murder at NASA or something, like recontextualized from Jude Law's point of view. And you realize that, like, Ethan Hawke is actually fucking full of himself. And Jude Law is spending the whole time like praying that the heart condition prognosis is true. Yeah. I don't think the movie has the kind of depth to have pulled that off. Yeah. It's kind of like a shitty thriller disguised as a, as a pensive uh, science fiction film. Because like most of the dramatic thrust of the movie is um, there's basically a murder that takes place on the premises of, of of the space expedition. Apparently the only murder that's ever happened. Yeah. Because the whole town comes together. It's like an episode of Bob the Builder or something. It becomes like a weird kind of like Agatha Christie vibe thing, a whodunit. Yeah. And so basically the protocol for a murder apparently in this universe is they go around the crime scene with a vacuum and they suck up all the dead skin and the blood and jizz and poop. Anything else? <laughs> and they and they test it. And if they find an invalid in the soup of human waste, they then immediately think that, oh, it was probably the invalid that killed someone because like invalids are criminal scum, which again is super like di- unlogical, dislogical, fucking shitty. Illogical. Thank you. Illogical. Yeah. <laughs> and so I hated that. I was like, why are they just assuming that Ethan Hawke did it? Also, if the disabled guy was an invalid. Which he wasn't by definition, which is the paradox of his existence. But I think he was if they reevaluated him. Yeah, right, right. Which is why he didn't ever want to come like or brush up against yeah. a fucking authority figure. But then he did run into Hank. From Breaking Bad and got his finger pricked and came back as valid. Uh-huh. And then the and then he's like, Oh, my injury's a temporary. I'm actually Usain Bolt or something. Yeah. I don't know. It was dumb. It was dumb. Which is why we don't have any clips, because the the script of the movie was boring. The plot was pretty boring. Uma Thurman is super hot. She's hot and she like she has all the energy of kill bill like you can she has a ton of star power yeah but she's literally just um fodder for ethan hawk yeah like you know by the end of the movie basically uh, we're supposed to be happy because ethan hawk has successfully survived the murder investigation are we supposed to be happy though i don't know about that because think about how the whole movie ends i okay we're supposed to be a little bit happy for ethan because he does 
successfully launch into space. But then literally everyone around him who helped him get there, they're all fucked. Like Uma Thurman is alone. You know, they were potentially a romantic prospect, but then he just fucks off to space. And excuse me, I had to burp violently uh, in distaste for this movie. (laughs) But, um, and then fucking once Ethan Hawke goes to space, Jude Law just kills himself. Because apparently after helping the able-bodied guy become an astronaut, he has no... He has even less reason to live. He has no purpose. Yeah. Yeah. His only purpose was to help the able-bodied person achieve greater heights. Yeah. Which is a fucking great poetic metaphor for so many fucking socially just woke people who think that they care about disability rights. Yeah. But they really just do it. So that they can say that they care about disability rights. Yeah. Because it makes them feel better. Yeah. And that is basically what this movie is doing. Is like, he gave the disabled man a better life. And the disabled man gave him, let him literally reach new heights. Uh-huh. And now that he can do that, Ethan Hart goes to space. And literally as the rocket takes off and the jet fuel combusts and the fire is burning under the rocket ship to thrust the Ethan Hawke bullshit into space. Jude Law gets in his own DNA incinerator and cremates himself. I hated the ending. It was so bad, yeah. Jude Law, but before he kills himself, Jude Law does one last huge courtesy to Ethan Hawke. Oh, yeah. He puts a lifetime supply of his own blood and jizz and poop and dead skin in a fridge. And he's like, listen, if you ever come back um, from space to fuck Uma Thurman again and (laughs) go on and on about how oppressed you are because your ticker is bad, then here is all my blood in case you want to pretend to be me again. Yeah. And it's supposed to... I think the movie is supposed to make you want to want to interpret that as like a heroic gesture yeah for jude law yeah but then that literally implies that the 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 most value that the fucking jude law's character has to offer is just his biomatter like nothing else yeah that's 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 it yeah i overall you know i like what the movie wants us to think about Uh in the sense of the issues that it's kind of getting at. Uh-huh. But I think it thought about them all the wrong way and it executed it terribly. I don't know how it would have been received in the 90s, but it ages terribly. It ages atrociously. And I'm ashamed of myself for loving it in high school. I think they should have called this movie Badica. <laughs> that joke makes me Madica. Oh, how about Falls Flatica? I just took a Shattica. <laughs> I wish I could put your jokes in that incinerator. <laughs> Yay. See, it was all worth it just for that. I related to the one scene where Jude Law is taller than Ethan Hawke. So Tony Shaloub stretches Ethan Hawke's shins out. Yeah, he gets he gets like femur lengthening surgery. By the way, I also relate with that because there is a couple scenes where Ethan Hawke 
has to subsist uh, in full leg casts. And it looks about as painful as that actually is in real life. And so I was like, yeah, this is this is legit. Do you have any pictures of you in full leg casts? No, but you do. Yeah, so I have a picture of me in what they used to call a stander. There was another word for it. What was it called? It's funny how they have those standards, those standards, both at like physiotherapy offices and Guantanamo Bay. Yeah. So I'm going to post a picture of it for this movie. I'll post this side by side of me and my contraption and uh-huh. Ethan Hawke and his contraption. Uh-huh. It was a hard plastic and metal device uh-huh. where I would get in it. It would go around my belly and then there was a joint at the hips and mm-hmm. a joint at the knees and my feet would strap in and my knees would lock and then you would straighten the legs until it snapped into place. Yep. And then it was excruciating. I was in one as a kid too. Was it like the same thing? Basically the same thing. I didn't get to lie down though. They actually had you upright in it. Yeah, they had me upright too for most of it. But what ended up happening was my legs got tighter and tighter. So it couldn't actually go fully straight. So standing on it wasn't possible because it could only stand if it was fully straight. Later, I got this more improved stander, which was like, a chair that you sit in and then you pump it up and it gets straighter and straighter and straighter or as straight as I could get it, but it didn't have to be perfectly straight. When my brother would put me in it, he would give me a couple extra pumps just to make me see if I would scream. Oh my God, Tony, your life. Yeah, but in general, I didn't have to go up all the way. See, so like... I, I would love to have a physiotherapist on the podcast to get them to apologize for the existence of this apparatus. I can try to find a picture of that too. I want to meet like some 50-year-old dude named Greg who <clears throat> grew up with cerebral palsy and they prescribed him a stander and now he basically walks like a normal person. Yeah. Like who the fuck decided that this actually helped anything at all? Like I think it like it probably prolongs it. My legs definitely didn't contract as quickly, I'm sure. But as soon as I stopped using it, they did. I think there is merit in it. And there's also merit in, at least for my disability, like weight bearing is important, which is why my bones are osteoporotic because they don't get enough like weight. It's good for circulation. It's good for digestion. Like There are benefits. Now it feels like you're defending this fucking thing. Don't oh. defend it, Tony. <laughs> I know, I know all the things you're saying, they make total sense. It's a fucking torture device. It is a torture device. Speaking of torture devices, I had an appointment today for a torture device specifically designed to wrench people's jaws open. Wow. I might have to start a GoFundMe because it's like 500 bucks. And couldn't, I mean, couldn't you just, like, you could buy a lot of tooth or a lot of, popsicle sticks for 500 bucks and just put them all in your mouth you're right 500 dollars is a lot of money to spend on this and i'll show it to you after but it's nothing fancy it looks like it was 3d printed and you put it in your mouth and you squeeze this lever and it stretches your jaw apart but 
Couldn't you just make that device on your own? The reason I think it might be worth my money is because it might be a little bit easier to convince attendants to help me with it. Oh. Because it's like a simpler process than shoving a bunch of popsicle sticks in my mouth. This is just stupid reason. Like, I'm sorry, not on your part, but it's just stupid that you have to even think like that. They say that you're supposed to use it seven times a day. What? You have to do the popsicle stick thing seven times a day? No, this thing. Oh. Which I'll never be able to do, but they say if you do it seven times, seven times a day, seven days a week, then you can expect a millimeter of additional opening per week, which is pretty wild. That seems like an unverifiable guarantee. Yeah, I don't think it's a guarantee. So you're saying if you use that device in six weeks, you'll be able to eat a hamburger? That's what I'm wondering. Okay, well, let's do it then. You can wear it for a part of the podcast, and it'll be the part where I blather on for 15 minutes (laughs) about other movies that Ethan Hawke has been in. Yeah, I need to figure out a way to do it independently. Boyhood, assault on... uh, uh, Never mind. All right, well, I'll post a picture of that as like a promo for this episode or something. But ultimately, I give this... What was that thing called? Oh, it's going to drive me nuts. It started with a P. I give this half a manual chair out of eight power chairs. Wow, that's low. Is it? Okay, out of five. Okay, I give this movie a single foot pedal out of ten manual chairs. And when I say manual chair... I mean the exact manual chair that's in the movie. Yeah, that fucking uh, stupid Jude Law uses. Yeah. Okay, one last thing about the movie. Okay. There's a scene where the authorities think that there's an invalid residing at Jude Law's house, because there is. So they are rushing over to Jude Law's apartment to verify that he's actually who he says he is. And... They're going to give him some sort of DNA test that he can't run away from. So it's indisputably him or not. Basically, like uh, Ethan Hawke calls ahead to Jude Law's apartment. He's like, dude, you got to get up the stairs because they're about to come over to your place and prick you in the arm and shit. And so Jude Law has to figure out how to fucking get his crippled ass up the winding and practical staircase that I hate. Um, And so there's the whole scene which is another fucking trope of wheelie movies where we got to watch our wheelie character, uh, able-bodied actor played by either Daniel Day-Lewis or Jude Law or some pretentious English piece of crap. Mm-hmm. He, he's got to fucking drag his ass up the stairs. Yeah. And and so it's, it's in all its uncomfortable glory where like, oh, we actually do see that Jude Law's legs are indeed dead weight. Which again, you can tell was not done by someone in a wheelchair because just scoot up the stairs. Yeah, fucking sit on the seat and push yourself up uh, the step by your butt each time. It's not fucking rocket science. We don't drag ourselves up the steps willy-nilly, <laughs> risking uh, bruised legs and, and bad knees. Like, we're not idiots. Well, like, Did you not consult with a fucking person in a wheelchair, you piece of crap movie? No, I think what they happened was they took someone's wheelchair. They they just like went to like a a a, a vet office somewhere and they're like, fuck you, and they took his chair. Yeah. We're gonna make a movie about you. Bye. <laughs> yeah. 
Hope you like the carpet. Bye. Yeah. Anyway, I, I was angry at that. So, because, yeah, we get to watch Jula ragdoll himself all the way up the windy set of stairs just to serve the purposes of Ethan Hawk once again. And it's, 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 ugh. I just took a DNA test. Turns out I'm 100% valid. You're supposed to sing that other song that. Oh, yeah, My Sharona. What's the My Sharona? My Sharona. Oh, I'm going to do a song about like keeping your joystick dry in the rain. I got <laughs> it. I got it. Off the top. When it is raining out, raining out, you've got to make sure that you've got a dry controller. <laughs> rain doesn't let my motor run. My motor run. You've got to keep it dry. You need a dry controller. Except when you are with a girl. With a girl. Maybe when you're with a girl, it doesn't have to be a dry. Dry, 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 dry. Yeah, woo. I mean. Was there anything else? No, man. Gattaca sucked. Gattaca sucked. We didn't even really talk about Uma Thurman. I wish there was a disabled person in Kill Bill. <laughs> We could talk about all the people that she turns into disabled people. (laughs) (laughs) We'll just talk about the fucking crazy 88 the whole time or something. (laughs) (laughs) We we, we want to talk about how Ethan Hawke actually has to use a leg bag, but it's not for disabled reasons. It's so that he can squirt some of piss that is not his own into a cup. Oh, yeah. When I saw that, I was like, imagine being so able-bodied that you can use a leg bag in reverse it, without even without even letting on to the fact that you're using a leg bag. Yeah, like as a kind of shitty magic trick. Yeah. So you could put someone else's piss in the bottle. Whereas when I pee, it's like a gravity lesson every time. Yeah, that was true. That was a disability moment. There were leg bags. There was he was using hand or arm crutches at one point. Forearm crutches. Who Ethan Hawke was? Ethan Hawke was, yeah. After his uh, leg lengthening surgery. Right. Okay, I suppose that's justified. Yeah. But the leg bag thing is pure appropriation. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't need that shit. How else was he supposed to fake his own peeing? Good question. I don't really care. It's not my problem. And then it's implied at the end that the guy just knew the whole time and didn't care. Yeah, which was a stupid twist. Yeah. I think one of the reasons why this movie was interesting to people and that it was heralded as having good ideas is because, again, people weren't used to seeing like forensics in a movie. So they hadn't even thought that their dead skin like could have value. No. When did like CSI come out? CSI came out in the year 2000, Tony. Oh, really? Yeah. And I don't know if Law and Order was uh, like doing a whole lot of DNA testing and crap. Jude Law and Order. <laughs> He's doing it. He's unraveling. That's all I got for this movie. That's all I got. Do we want to play Wheel Breakers or what? I thought you didn't like Wheel Breakers. I do like Wheel Breakers. I just need a break so I can think of some good ones. Okay. I had one for this episode, but I feel like we're running out of time. And since you said you don't like Wheel Breakers in the last episode, we'll pause for this episode okay when it is raining out raining out gotta make sure you've got a dry controller (laughs) rain don't let my motor run my motor run (laughs) you gotta keep it dry you need a dry controller i mean off the top that's pretty decent (laughs) parry